Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwell, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwell, the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. That's a great looking shirt, man. I think that's one of my favorite shirts that you wear. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> you got some good shirt game. Oh, I bought this shirt uh, to wear to a, a wedding that was uh, very casual. Uh-huh. But I still want it to look nice for a wedding, so. Casual is not good enough for you. That's one thing I know for sure. It's like an Aloha shirt. It's not like a, it's yeah. not dressy. Yeah. It's just got a collar, you what know. Is that? is that a linen shirt? Uh, I don't think it's linen. I think it's just uh, some maybe a poplin or something like that. Wife has recently bought some linen sheets. Mm, yeah, I'm I'm all about it. About it, about it. Here's the thing that I realized about linen: not soft. It gets softer as you use it. Oh, really? Like I've got to grind my body oils into it for it to soften up? It softens up with use, and then it's the best sleeping fabric there is. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I won't kick it out of bed then. Is that why my linen shirts are my least favorite shirts too? Because they just feel scratchy to me. Oh, well, you know, everybody's got different texture stuff. So maybe it's just not your texture. I'm just a soft boy is what I am. (laughs) Soft boy who doesn't want to be scratched. Yeah. Uh, I I had a bunch of fast food fried chicken right before we recorded. Oh, Lordy. It's a bad choice. Is this a fast food fried chicken place that has a catchy jingle? It's a place where I love the chicken. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> That's walkable from my house. I love that chicken from there, too. Yeah. Everybody rationalizes bad choices that they make around this kind of thing. Yeah. And the way I rationalize this is like, well, it's like about a mile from my house, so I'm going to walk there and walk back. Sure. I'm going to burn some calories, baby. Not a cool day today either. It is uh, almost 80 on my side of the city, so it's got to be close to 90 for you. It's an even 90 over here, yeah. Yeah. Not a pleasant walk, but... uh... Lunch gets overlooked, I think, by the food pyramid industrial complex or whatever. Yeah. Like, everyone's all about breakfast being the most important, but I feel like if I blow lunch, that's what blows my day. Yeah, I've done it. I've done it to myself. Yeah. Should I start drinking? <laughs> is that the way out? God, is it? You know what's no. funny about that is uh, we we have a very important job you and I got hired to do later today. Yeah. And uh, we probably sh- shouldn't show up drunk. <laughs> we have professional obligations today, unlike most days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also just really excited because uh, I think this is the last episode before our streaming spectacular. Is it? The Double Dumbass Tour. Wow. Yeah. That's this I think week. this comes out the Monday that show drops on a Thursday. Here's the thing. When you're filming me and you, you're going to yeah. need a lot of time for post. Post-production is going to be pretty intensive, uh, cleaning up those faces. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to need to stack the filters on all these cameras. <laughs> Big time. I think... Yeah, I think when we first announced it, it may have sound because I don't think that we I, we've been thinking so much about this live show. I don't think we thought about how uh, it's presented and how it's distinct from a lot of these uh, online yeah. like shows people have done. Like we're not doing a stand-up show where we're sitting in an office, 
yelling into a Zoom camera. Yeah. It's like a real show. It's like a, it's like a comedy special. It's a real film, Jack. Can't wait to uh, tell awful jokes in front of your parents and parents-in-law, <laughs> knowing that my parents will be far, far away. Yeah. I have been meaning to bring up to you that I want to get a brass plaque made for our friend and agent to put at one of the tables, though, so oh, yeah, he has a, a nice place to sit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people are going to think that he died. Because if you see a brass plaque somewhere mm, like that, mm, it's it's yeah. normally coming with a, a birth date and a death date. Yeah. But uh, this is just going to have a birth date. You know what? That's what we should do. It should be his name and then in parentheses, not dead. <laughs> just reserved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, rumors of his death have been exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, rumors of the niceness of this species that the Voyager is visiting have also been exaggerated, Adam. You just never know until you get there on shore leave, right? Mm-hmm. Turns out this shore leave also has a justice problem. <laughs> Let's get into it, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 10, Random Thoughts. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. The Voyager is in orbit of the Mari homeworld, and when she starts talking about friendly aliens, I'm just clapping my hands together and rubbing them ready to see some nuck. What about plain old basic sex? You must have some need for that. We've been really stacking them and racking them on The Greatest Generation in terms of like pace of watch and recording. We're trying yeah. to build up some banked shows ahead of your upcoming fatherhood responsibilities and the family leave you'll be taking, then I'm very glad we'll be able to grant here at Uxbridge Shimoda. <laughs> yeah, Adam's our HR department, and he, like, really worried over the paperwork to see if our company would be willing to grant me this. Let me tell you something. When, when I'm your HR department, your company is in big trouble. <laughs> anyway, my point is, did you feel a little bit of post-traumatic stress getting out of year of hell <laughs> and coming into shore leave like i wasn't quite ready to let go of the vigilance of right. always being attacked all the time yeah but nobody on the ship remembers year of exactly hell. so they didn't have a year of hell i just need to get over it yeah that was what i didn't like about the end of year of hell i was like that was all for nothing yeah <laughs> they didn't learn anything from that yeah it was all a dream really kind of doesn't hit the way you might like it to. Yeah. Like Patrick Duffy gets out of a shower. Bobby! Good morning. And then the camera doesn't even pan down. It's just sad. He was just having a shower jack to Year of Hell Part <laughs> 1 and 2. It's the only way he can get over the top. <laughs> this episode opens with Tom and Neelix in the transporter room. Uh, hanging out. Tom waiting for Balana to come back from the surface. Neelix heading down to the surface. Yeah. He's planning on getting his dick wet with uh, somebody named Tally. And uh, he has really drenched himself in, in musk. A lot of two-way tension here, I feel like, because Paris is back with what looks to be a bundle of tax documents or <laughs> tax document paraphernalia. Yeah. And Neelix is like, cool, where'd you get those? Because I'm on my way to uh, do the same. <laughs> and Paris is like, ah, oh, what? <laughs> what is that smell? Are you wearing cologne? I've been swimming in raw sewage. Very enticing scent, don't you think? 
Melix, you got to spray the musk into the air and just walk through the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's wearing Talaxian Panther, the cologne that 10% of the time works 20% of the time. <laughs> it is not a good smell in there. And the transporter room is a small room. Yeah, the chief is just passed out behind the controls in the back. Yeah, I'm sure you get all sorts of smells in the transporter room. That's probably a uniquely smelly place for all the comings and goings of people. Yeah, Neelix is doing something that horny people have been doing for time immemorial, finding a pretext to see the person that he wants to to see. It's true. This is a produce purchasing trip, but uh, eventually he's going to throw all those fresh fruits and vegetables in the garbage can if the night goes the way he's hoping it's going to go. That's right. I mean, maybe keep a couple of them for the nightstand, you know what I'm saying? Mm. (laughs) What are the chances that, like, half of all alien produce is sentient in some way that you don't expect? (laughs) (laughs) Don't stick me in! (laughs) He's got kind of a cucumbery shaped thing, and he's... He's going at her crotch, and she's like, no, no, down here. And she points at her knees. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Neelix. You got to be a giving lover. You got to lick some knee. (laughs) The captain and BLT are buying some, uh, some technology equipment from this guy, Gwil, who, uh, stole Chakotay's Caesar cut and won't give it back. It's kind of a wet Caesar, isn't it? It's an overdressed Caesar. <laughs> really is. That's the surest way to ruin a salad. The dressing is really thick and a little bit heavy, so it kind of weighs those leaves down a little bit. Captain is having a fun time, like, practicing her uh, haggling skills. Uh, this is not something that you're used to when you grow up in a moneyless society. And it's, like, on hard mode because she's haggling with a telepath. Yeah, extra hard to do. They both kind of laugh about it, like, oh, this is impossible, isn't it? Sure yeah. is. Telepaths. <laughs> You're ripping me off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where did they get the money? It's a good question. They must have traded something for local currency. Like, she must have had, like, antique glasses that she sold somewhere. That's always, like, you're excited to go to a new place, but, like, when the first stop is the bank... <laughs> or the money exchanger in the airport. Like, it's not a fun tone setter, is it? Speaking of non-fun tone setters, a uh, guy barges into BLT. Uh, hey! I'm sorry. She's not even standing out in the middle of a thoroughfare. This is why she takes such great umbrage. Her what the fuck is totally credible. Why are you walking there, man? Yeah. So he apologizes. They part ways, and Gwil is like very, very concerned about BLT. And I thought for sure that the way this episode was going to go was Gwil was going to be putting the moves on, and then yep. Tom Paris was going to get super angry because he does that thing where he puts his hands on her shoulders. Yeah. Don't put your hands on somebody's shoulders when you don't know them. And like, it's overdoing it. it like, if you're an emotional first responder to a situation like this, like, you're ratcheting up the bad vibes yeah by overdoing yeah. it this way you're you're making it seem more serious than it actually was exactly it's just some idiot not watching where they're going so neelix is over talking to tally and he cannot keep his thoughts in his pants the melon lady and neelix <laughs> this is some of the loveliest fruit i've i've seen in a long time have a conversation that's spoken entirely in entendre i don't think you'll find them very sweet uh-huh and Tally 
tries to let Neelix down easy, that her fruit just isn't going to be as tasty as she was hoping it would be. Oh, how wonderfully tart. <laughs> and she hopes that's going to be all right for him. And Neelix yeah. is like, that's fine. I like unusual tastes. I wasn't expecting you to come by the stand today, and I haven't taken a shower since last night. So. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to wash the fruit, really. <laughs> what she can tell by getting up into his head is that Neelix is hungry for a tug job. That is what you're thinking, isn't it? That you'd like me to tug on your whiskers? And she is a, a willing participant in that. She, uh, she suggests when she knocks off work that uh, they can pursue that line of uh, inquiry this starting now is an episode that forces you to accept that the crew of the voyager are just going to eat shit <laughs> for being here on this planet because yeah. i don't understand why it's okay to just allow the mari into your heads because oh it's just their way they're just <laughs> very invasive <laughs> Yeah, could they not make like a special helmet that they could all wear down to the surface to reduce unwanted advances? They're totally just being uh, telepathically cucked because it's all Mari traditions and none of the Federation's requests here. Like, they could ask, hey, while we're down here on shore leave, we're not really comfortable with the whole mind probing. (laughs) We just want to buy your melons and flirt a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah. Speaking of melons, Adam, Tuvok is walking with a familiar lady who is not rocking a boob window in this particular costume. It's why I didn't recognize her except by voice. Human females are so repulsive. In this episode, she's called Namira, but we, of course, all know her as Betor. That's right. Yeah. And she's a member of the local constabulary, and she's explaining the wonderful achievement of the... Mari people of having eradicated crime and violence from their society. If you call yourself a a constable or a constabulator or whatever <laughs> Namira calls herself, a cab still works. Mm-hmm. All consoles. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to it change it. Yeah. Uh, Tuvok is more than happy to do a little career day walk and talk with Namira. Namira is extremely proud of her culture and how little crime there is there, all thanks to her and her team, Mm -hmm. and would really like to know how Tuvok runs his piece of shit security operation, (laughs) just like for shits and giggles, right? One thing that really struck me about the way Namira relates to Tuvok in this episode is that she has such great admiration for his achievements as a yeah as a person that suppresses violence i was like namira like who told you he was so fucking great that had to come from somewhere else or it came from tuvak in a scene that we didn't see yeah and she's just like the most trusting constable in the in the galaxy yeah when they make plans to go up to the ship we hear a crash and actually like a series of crashes yeah. And when we see what's going on, it's the dude who ran into BLT just beating the shit out of a guy and his clay pots. Yeah. And this guy had it coming because two places you don't bring your fragile earthware are the car chase portion of a Michael Bay movie <laughs> and a Star Trek bazaar. <laughs> right. Those yeah. things are going down. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the 90s when everybody was worried that kids would take 
what they learned in video games and apply them to their real lives. Mm-hmm. This, this guy's been playing a ton of Legend of Zelda. Yeah. The way he treats these clay pots. No. Do you ever just look at a thing and want to smash it? <laughs> like a clay pot? Yeah, yeah. I remember when Grand Theft Auto 4 came out and it was set in New York and I lived in New York and I played it a bunch. I would like walk outside and I'd be like, I could just get on any one of these motorcycles and just ride it away. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be clear, like not out of any sense of violence or whatever, but just like to satisfyingly break a thing. <laughs> right. So it doesn't seem like the local Mari people really know how to react to somebody acting a fool quite like this. Yeah. So it, it falls to Captain Janeway and Neelix to wrestle this guy to the ground and take his weapon away from him and, and talk some sense into him. And he's like, I don't know what happened, man. What was going on? <laughs> I just saw all these pots and wanted to smash. <laughs> also saw the shopkeeper. Wanted to smash him, too. <laughs> Violence is uh, is not as over in the Mari civilization as is generally known. Why were you beating that man? I don't know. After the title sequence, Tuvok is giving that tour that he promised to uh, Namira, and she is really perplexed at the idea of a brig. This is a concept that she's never encountered before. This is... Really classic passive aggression here. She's doing that thing where she's asking a bunch of questions about a thing she doesn't agree with. Yeah. So, why jail? Really? <laughs> so, yeah, punish people for being bad? And does that help them be better? Have you found that it works? So, it's interesting that uh, your crime statistics are so low, and yet the resources allocated to fight it are so great I mean, if we were to consider the spaces in a ship a budget, uh-huh. <laughs> kind of a lot of that budget is going towards the brig and the ways that you run it. Kind of feels like you're you're self-justifying yeah, yeah. Your, your job here. Does anyone feel safe, Tuvok, when you're around? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of crime statistics, he tosses out that the brig has been occupied for less than 1% of the Voyager's mission in the Delta Quadrant so far. Yeah. She's like, would you say that that's slightly less than 1% too much? <laughs> when you're in a shuttlecraft behind another shuttlecraft, do you find that people just don't know how to act around you? <laughs> they fly five miles under the shuttlecraft yeah. speed limit. Do you find that you negatively affect the flow of traffic just with your very presence? <laughs> Namira kind of grows into a great umbrage with the idea of the brig before Kim radios in to interrupt, saying that uh, some clay pots are down. (laughs) Repeat, clay pots are down. There's been some sort of attack in the marketplace. And uh, we cut back to the surface and, oh, what a drag for Neelix. Yeah. Oh, this girl that he, he, he was so close with. Now she's traumatized by seeing this violence. There's no, not, there's not going to be sex after that. Yeah, I mean, very difficult to justify a tug job with someone who is is shell shocked. Like anybody staring into the middle distance cannot be ethically asked to perform a tug job, right? 
If you were getting a tug job and you looked up and saw the person staring into the middle distance, you have to put a stop to the proceedings right then and there. I don't think consent is possible under these circumstances, Neelix. You just need to let go of the idea of a tug job right here and now. Yeah. He's uh, he's trying to comfort her, but this is just not something that uh, people on this planet are used to. And uh, over with the captain and BLT and Tuvok, Namira is talking about uh, taking them into custody to ask them some some questions. And uh, Tuvok is like, what are you getting at here? Like, they were just bystanders. Like, they stopped the attack. Yeah. Where are you subjecting them to interrogation? It seems unusual in this moment, but Namira kind of waves it off as, like, we want to hear about what everyone saw. You ID anybody? TV guy was in the bushes. He heard it mostly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll take him in, too. We've got to question everybody. <laughs> she's, she's walking around the, the shattered yeah. remains she's of the pots. She's just pointing at things. And she goes, their M.O. was that they're good. <laughs> when they broke the one pot, they didn't hesitate. They took out the rest of the pots because at that point, what's the difference? Check the crowbar, run it through the computer. You'll probably get a phone book back. Run it anyway. <laughs> so we get this Rashomon-style interrogation scene where it's cutting between Janeway, BLT, and Neelix, and they're in this chair that's kind of like a clip show device that records your telepathic signals while you're being questioned. This scene blew me away because when Namira introduces the idea of what's going to happen, like she she says what's going to happen, then she does it, and then she says it's going to happen after. <laughs> Janeway does that thing where you say the same thing right after the person speaking has said it. Also yeah. known as the Adam. <laughs> but I thought in this scene it was because she was freaked out and she was like hitting the brakes on the moment. She's like, I'm going to stick you in that chair and then I'm going to get in those brains and I'm going to see what you saw. And she's like, you're going to stick me in that chair and get into these brains and so forth. And I was like, well, great. She's never going to cop to this. She's totally game. I guess it'd be pretty tough to keep a secret from you. Hmm? Why is everyone okay with this? I don't know, because it's, it's their way. That's like the, the whole case that they keep making is like, we can't pick and choose which local laws we, uh, we observe. I swear, Ben, the Voyager is eventually going to do shore leave on a planet where everyone seems really nice, <laughs> and then everyone just gets fucking murdered because they're told <laughs> that they're going to sit down for a nice interview in a room that locks from the outside with some weird chair in it. Yeah, sorry, that's just the law here. Yeah. That's how the law works here. I don't like it. We didn't pass it. Our leaders passed it. Whatever the Star Trek equivalent of street smart is, I don't feel like is happening in this episode. Yeah. We tried to have common sense laws on this planet, but our yeah, our Mari Supreme Court uh, just is, is run by absolute assholes. Not only that, like, are we supposed to forget the last time the crew had a run-in with telepaths? BLT uncovered a genocide. Yeah. Maybe we should just chill out on the telepaths <laughs> until we can figure out what's going on yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no uh-huh. <laughs> 
Uh, Neelix not super forthcoming with his tug job thoughts <laughs> when uh, when he's asked about those. What else would I be thinking about? And equally not forthcoming is BLT when she's asked if he, if she had any violent thoughts toward the man that barged into her in the market. How am I supposed to remember? Yes or no, did you think about hurting him? I mean, you do have Loaf of Klingon. You have a, a retaliatory type of loaf. So <laughs> yeah. we're just especially interested if that thought crossed your mind. Yeah. And when she finally admits that it may have slipped into her brain that she could uh, swang on this dude. She is immediately arrested. Yeah. Violent thought is the case that they gave her. Hostile thought is against the law. I mean, part of what sells the great umbrage that everyone takes is how smug Namira is about this. She's like, case closed, everyone. I figured it out. We're just going to take BLT to be lightly lobotomized. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, our problem will be solved. It's not going to be like throwing her in a brig, like you bunch yeah. of savages up on on your ship. Fucking barbarians. Anyways, yeah. yeah, our system is cool as hell. We will return a slightly mentally mutilated chief engineer to your ship uh, just as soon as we can reconfigure our equipment. I was squirming in this moment because I'm like, why is this happening? Why is Janeway letting this happen? Why is she approaching this like it's some fun legal project for her to do? (laughs) She's like, it's okay, BLT. I'm going to scour the data, and maybe we can have some sort of legal remedy to this. Yeah. Lawyer Janeway is given one day to review the evidence, and uh, it does not seem like uh, anybody is worried that she might not succeed. This was exactly the moment, and I'm sure you felt the same way, where I was like, what would need to happen for this to rise to the level of a rescue mission? Because I was thinking yeah. about it right fucking now. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. And the episode starts thinking about it right now as well, because yeah. uh, Paris is quite exercised about what's going down on down on the surface, yeah. and is yelling at the captain about it, and is then trying to talk Chakotay into a rescue plan. He even gets to sit in the big chair to kick this rescue plan to Chakotay. This must happen all the time, the if mom says no, ask dad quality of this moment. Yeah. Hey, remember when you punched me in the face? (laughs) You remember how you said you owed me one? Yeah. This is that. We got to break her out. And so Paris is given the busy work of come up with the tactical plan for a rescue operation so that if and when the captain fails we'll have a plan b were you bumped at all by paris sitting in the big chair i think it was there for chakotay to make a point like chakotay was like setting up a rhetorical flourish like three (laughs) steps ahead (laughs) that's why paris gives him the look on the way out like nicely done yeah good day to you sir it's like a friendly nut kick. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Captain's still the boss, Paris, and they're kind of grinning at each other. Are there places in your house that you know are yours that, like, that only you sit or that you prefer to sit? No, not really. Or the ways that you sit in them are specific? I, I don't really have that. There's not, like, a dad's sparkle lounger vibe yeah. in my house, so. You would have laughed because I was watching this episode, uh, upstairs on the big TV 
with the L-shaped couch. Right. And my wife always gets the elbow of the L-shaped couch, and I sit on the bottom part of the L, Uh and then my legs go over the lava (laughs) to the other arm of the L. I'm I'm familiar with this seating arrangement. Linguistics professionals will probably know what the parts of the L are. I don't, okay? And when I saw Paris sit in the captain's chair, and I was thinking about how strange that was, I was like... My wife is not here, and yet I'm sitting in this couch as if she were, like, <laughs> in a less comfortable way. Yeah. Because yeah. that's my spot, and I don't yeah. sit in her spot. Did that inspire you to move over? Did no. Did you sit in the captain's chair? No. I sat wow. in my spot the way I sit, even though wow. she wasn't there. That's weird as hell, huh? That, that's, that's very strange. I also um, sleep on my side of the bed when we travel, like, even though I'm <laughs> sleeping alone. I'm in the driver's seat of the bed. I think that my wife and I often swap sides when we travel. How could you do like that? We, we sleep in opposite sides from normal when we're in a strange bed. All bets are off in a lot of ways in yeah. the Airbnb. So um, after this plan B conversation, the captain and Tuvok are in the ready room or something. I guess it's the ready room, right? And... Uh, she and he are talking about, uh, you know, like what kind of person is Namira, and then uh, the captain finds a little flaw in Numiri's theory of the case. Don't you find that just the least bit curious? There's something about Janeway's attitude here that seems to relish throwing this in Tuvok's face. Like Tuvok has been full of praise in this scene toward Namira and the Mari culture. Yeah, and uh, the expression on Janeway's face is like. Not that great, huh? <laughs> we don't know what she's found here. Yeah. Until the next scene where they have confronted Namira with this new evidence. Turns out Frain, the bumper slash pot smasher, was a habitual bad thought haver. What's this guy walking the streets for? Well, they've mutilated him plenty. They've really reworked his whole brain. I don't know, man. I think you have three violent thoughts. I think you got to think about... uh Mm. Keeping the population safe from someone like that, Ben. Wow. Uh, I'm glad you weren't a voter in the 80s. <laughs> Namira's reaction to this is that, look, guys, uh, I know you're really riding for the idea that uh, three violent strikes and you're out and, yeah. and like this guy shouldn't be on the streets. But let me tell you something. Mr. Frayne is a success story here. We wiped this guy's memory all the time. We wipe it so often that we actually give this procedure a nickname. It's called the Kern. <laughs> His name was much more complicated before the procedure, but Frain is the only thing he can hold in his mind. I also love to smash clay pots in any farmer's market that I go to. <laughs> One reason I am no longer a border security agent was that any time I found clay pots in someone's luggage, I would smash it, <laughs> whether or not it was under the legal limit for personal importation. Namira takes great umbrage with Tuvok's incredulity about Mr. Frain. How dare he question their very successful methods? Yeah. And, uh... She makes the case for, like, look, we put the dopey thoughts on the table. Dope on the table. We are, like, 
arresting people and lobotomizing them and like getting police work done. You can't argue with that, right? We put a lot of fucking dope on the table. A lot of it. Right. <laughs> you should see our, our, our newspaper. It's just uh, it's just police with their arms around the mayor and yeah. dopey thoughts on the table. <laughs> The coup de grace of the whole thing is like the classic last resort of the morally repugnant, which is like, look, guys, you think I want to be doing this? Yeah. You think I want to lobotomize all these people? No, of course not. But I have to because it's my job. Yeah. Tuvok, you know what it's like, right? Come on, man. You get me. And he's like, yeah, no, like, I totally get you. But uh, I also have a job to do and uh, I'm going to do it. It's kind of an easy letdown, right? Like, there does not appear to be a romantic interest between them, but it feels like that kind of letdown, right? Like, right. yeah, but also, this is a workplace argument, totally. and we aren't going to see things the same way. Your form of justice isn't how I would define it personally. <laughs> I appreciate your lack of boob window not distracting me from the difficult task ahead. I mean, she is going to do what she is going to do, and she's not going to be convinced otherwise. And this is like the darkness of her character. And and the shitty part that runs through the whole episode is that like she claims justice, but justice is not having a preconception of the outcome. And that's not how any credible justice system should work. Bad for science, bad for justice. Yeah. But uh, there is one bootlicker on the Voyager crew, and that's Seven of Nine. Yeah. Who is pro the Mari justice system. Did you think they were shopping down there? <laughs> it seemed like they were kind of like packing up stuff that they already bought. Okay. Maybe. Like they're, they're like putting it into that uh, hexagonal suitcase that people in Starfleet always carry around. I wish that was a little more clear. Yeah, it was just some like weird light business that the director uh-huh. gave them to do while they're having this conversation. <laughs> but Seven's thing is like, your whole thing is like seek out new life and new c- civilizations, but it's fucking stupid. Yeah. And if you're if you're like so careless with your violent thoughts that you're getting in trouble for them, maybe BLT gets what she deserves. I mean, Seven's kind of saying what I was saying earlier in the show is like, you go in all doe-eyed on these shore leave excursions, expecting everyone who's nice to you to be actually nice, really. Right. And how often can it really be like that? Sometimes you meet people that are rocking an amazing amount of knuck, and then they want to inject you with some kind of lethal serum. Yeah. Just because you crashed into some flowers. Neelix has the ultimate retort for really any argument Seven has towards humanity when the very name is racist or any species that isn't borgs which is yeah i guess seven but at least we don't assimilate <laughs> <laughs> like cool argument or whatever but at least we don't do that one of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, 
we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that. Lockwood Knob. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Over on the other side of the market, the melon lady is uh, pulling some product down for an old that has walked into her shop area yeah this old is envious of her great melons huh yeah your usual selection yes please and mad that she drops them because the moment she does she catches a a knife to the throat yeah this old lady is a fucking murderer that old lady's melons dropped long ago Mm. and uh (laughs) she is very upset by watching these hit the floor (laughs) now neelix is never gonna get laid oh no RSVP tug job. And we see the, uh, the like, flashback of the guy bumping into to BLT, like, mid-murder, too. Yeah, teaching the viewer what's going on. It does seem that way. Yeah. So later, 
Neelix is walking with Tuvok extremely slowly in the hallway. <laughs> Guy was like, speed up! Like, either stop or, or walk a normal pace. This weird, extremely slow pace is so weird. I feel like they're doing a setup on the other end of the corridor, and this is like all the <laughs> corridor runway they had for this scene. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, scene's a little longer than we thought. So if you guys could just uh, yeah try try and walk at a pace where we can capture all of all of the dialogue here. The other thing I noticed about this scene is how congested Tim Russ sounds. Did the old woman say anything? Yeah, he does sound a little congested in this. It's got to be so tough when you're an actor and you have a very recognizable voice and a right. cadence to your speech. Like any little difference in it has got to be so frustrating as an actor. Like when the expectation is that all the time, right? It's not like having a zit or or something. <laughs> right. Like you you can't use makeup on a voice. You really can. I mean, you can loop it, but that's gonna that's gonna be even weirder. Yeah. Neelix suggests to Tuvok that maybe there's a connection. Like this this market seems to have like lingering violent thoughts that are causing attacks to happen left and right i was like maybe just close the market let's see if the market is the problem and like let's just close the market until we can figure this thing out make it like a super fun thought site you know a super thought site i mean to what extent are the melons involved like are people touching a thing that's giving them violent (laughs) thoughts they're just getting carried away because they get so excited by the melons yeah neelix is like look man you get to nail whoever did this do it for me and the tug jab that never was. Look at these sideburns. Look at them. Totally untugged. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. Look at this bent up frustration in these sideburns. <laughs> Do you think I'm going to be a good cook if I don't get a tug job soon? <laughs> you know how long it's been since Kess broke up with me? I haven't had a tug job in a long time, Duvok. You got to get to the bottom of this. You know, we're a long way from Talax, which means... We're never going to get me a Burns light to take care of my urges. <laughs> I uh, have used it several times. It's way better than beating off. Tuvok meets with Namira. He's like, what, what is it going on with this second attack? Like, two attacks in two days? Like, what's the deal? And Namira is very perplexed about this. She's like, yeah, she's an old lady. She just suddenly had this, like, overwhelming urge to attack the victim and... You know, like, it doesn't make any sense, because Frayn and Bellana are nowhere near what happened. Yeah. They, like, couldn't possibly have been the source of the violent thought. And, like, at this point, I think, like, let Bellana out of jail, right? Don't even continue to threaten to scramble her brains. Right. I mean, if we can be sure that it's not solely her thought's responsibility for this, yeah. That's what I thought, but, too, but no one mentions that. Yeah. It doesn't come up. <laughs> BLT needs a better legal defense team, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Where is the captain right now? What is she working on? Yeah. Did she find that one little flaw in Namira's reasoning and then quit? They decide to uh, focus their investigation on the old lady and where she's been the last few days. Yeah. Where do you think she's been, Ben? Hmm. Just the market, the park, and the pharmacy. Played a little canasta. Yeah. <laughs> Tuvok goes and uh, suggests a mind meld to BLT. And she's like, I don't know about that. And he's like, no, no, no. It's like a really light one. 
Like, not going to be a really a heavy mind meld. That's what I was going to say. As soon as that second hand comes in, she's like, whoa, I thought <laughs> I thought we were just going to make out. You're, <laughs> this, this is mind anal? This is like second date stuff at the earliest. Do you think she could have used a prison uniform for all of the subsequent scenes after her being taken into custody? I think that would have really helped me feel like she was in greater danger or something like i didn't i thought i thought she should look different or look like the experience had been worse for her than just like having to sit on a bench waiting which is what it looks like she's been doing it's kind of a problem with the script right because like it seems like she would just be free to go in this society that doesn't even understand the concept of locking someone up right so is she just like hanging around this mind mutilation facility for fun i don't know could you walk out at any time it's hard to tell we don't know we're meant to uh, connect those dots yeah but in the double-handed mind meld uh she comes back to gwill the the guy that she was buying stuff from with the captain and he put his hands on her shoulders and she could she was creeped out by him she did, didn't like his his energy his vibe his wet caesar Oh, it smells good. I know, all the garlic and the lemon and everything. She remembers that creepy feeling. She also remembers something else, like something so terrible that she physically breaks the meld with Tuvok. Yeah. She did not like that dude. And uh, so his next stop is to find out what that something terrible might have been. And so he catches up with Gwil at night on the surface of the planet and starts uh, questioning him. And... It's pretty clear that Gwil is very curious about the kind of mental gift shrunk that Tuvok keeps all his violent thoughts bottled up in. It was also clear to me in this scene that Mr. Gwil has resting Anthony Kiedis face. <laughs> Did you get this? It does sort of look like a person that was made to suck his kiss. Yeah, I kind of want to see him with a shirt off running at the camera in slow motion. Mm-hmm. I did want to see him naked but with a tube sock over his dong (laughs) there's a weird energy to him that i feel like is is just a great and interesting performance and interesting direction for him yeah like he seems to run the gamut of like just normal guy walking home from work and a guy with a very intense stare that wants to know all of your darkest thoughts like stands just a little bit too close to you and stuff Yeah, and the conversation ends as awkwardly as it was. Like, it gets more and more awkward until he turns and leaves and Tuvok follows him. Yeah. And it doesn't look like he's headed to dinner with his family like he said he was. No, it's nothing nearly as wholesome as that. Uh, He's doing shady back alley deals. Yeah, this other guy is exchanging currency for something we're not aware of at this point, and Tuvok's watching the whole thing from the shadows until he's spotted. Yeah. And they're like, why are you following us? And Tuvok is like, well, I actually think I might have a deal for you. Yeah. You see, I'm like you. I put my violent thoughts on one lobe at a time. <laughs> this is a strange interaction because Mr. Gwill turns his possible arrest into a bribery situation. Yeah. He's like, couldn't help but notice how you squished those violent thoughts. I have a bunch myself. You want to maybe get together sometime and and trade these thoughts? Yeah. Because the way that he talks about them 
suggests that he totally gets off on them. Yeah, he he's essentially the webmaster of rotten.com and <laughs> Duvac is uh is offering him some uh you know photos of somebody whose head got hit by a helicopter blade. God, I haven't thought about that site in 20 years. <laughs> this this episode made me think about it for the first time in 20 years. God. There's this montage of thoughts where Mr. Gwynn shows Tuvok his, and now it's time for Tuvok to to give back. And it has that energy of Dirk jacking off in front of that guy in the pickup truck in the third act of Boogie Nights. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Because Tuvok is not ready to whip those thoughts out. Now, show me. I'll need a few moments to recover. I'm surprised you're so easily tired. Your telepathic abilities are strong. Tuvok blames it on stamina. He's like, I have not done the mental kegels in a long yeah. time. I am yeah. very spent. Yeah, and and uh, Gwil, Gwil wants to see, wants to go deeper, you know? He wants to see the, the really good stuff. And yeah. Tuvok is kind of asking about it. He's like, so where do you get your, your merchandise? And he's like, you know, I get it from a lot of places. Some people give it to me. Some people trade it with me. Sometimes... I take what I need. Yikes. And uh, Tuvok sort of has him on the hook now, and he's like, because this, uh, this violent thought of Bolana's is, quote, still in circulation. How about Tuvok here, like, putting himself in danger, like, experiencing the dark thoughts that he's suppressed for so long, and yeah. doing good investigative work in the process? This is all working. I love this whole sequence, because it, like opens up the the like dark underbelly of Mari society like mm-hmm. in the way that you would actually find out about it you know yeah it's show not tell and he's like yeah so like you and Frain both must have gotten a hold of that violent thought because Frain's had it like expunged from his mind already mm-hmm. but it's still out there so somebody's doing it the creepiness with which Tuvok shows interest in BLT's thought is like a great performance piece, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I have known her for a long time, and she's never let me get that thought. Ugh, <laughs> it just makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Of course, it's locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully, because I'm only going to say this once. He picks a bad moment to, to arrest Gwell, because he's like, you're coming with me, and Gwell's like, yeah, but I have two tough buddies here with me. Yeah. And so they start kicking Tuvok's ass. Can't and, forget uh, about the tough buds. Yeah. Seems like the the Mari are pretty strong, you know, if three of them can take on a pure-blooded Vulcan. I thought the same thing. I was surprised none of them got put into a jerk cable and thrown across a room. Or neck pinched? Like, he doesn't yeah. get any of them. Maybe he was weakened from the violent thought hand jobs that Ooh. he was getting and giving. Yeah, maybe so. A lot of tug jobs this episode. Hmm, yeah. (laughs) So Tuvok is missing, and up on the ship, they are trying to find him, trying to scan for him. He's had his his communicator taken away, so no luck. And uh, now they they need uh, Namira's help, you know? Right, but how helpful can she be? She's like, I don't know where he is. I can't find him. 
Yeah. As far as I know, it's just me and a couple of assistants operating yeah. a weird chair. Like that's the entire department. Yeah. I mean, she she did, does say at the beginning of the episode that their constabulary is like basically obsolete and doesn't need to have that many people anymore. It turns out the limits of their telepathy is just stealing violent thoughts <laughs> and like none of it can be used to find a missing person. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Janeway is like, well, while we're worried about this, like, why don't we send some people down to the service to, like, look around? And also, could you, like, maybe not do the lobotomy on my crew member during? And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, even though evidence proved that BLT wasn't the only source of this thought in the world, uh, we're going to go ahead with the lobotomy. And also, you can't send anybody down here to try and rescue Tuvok. That's ridiculous. Tom. Am I making any sense here? Paris does a lot of piping up here during the FaceTime conversation. Like, he talks more than I feel like Janeway and Chakotay do. Yeah. For their part, they just kind of look around at each other in silence. She has to kind of glare him down a couple of times, like yeah. Ixnay on the iping up pay <laughs> <laughs> during the ace time fay. <laughs> yeah. We cut directly to BLT being dragged to the purging. Yeah. And she is not going voluntarily. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. <laughs> Some real like welcome, Mr. Bond shit. They uh they put her in this chair, there's a light up dildo pointed at the top of her head they're gonna start fucking with her brain she is a character who has often been medically experimented on in kind of an unfortunate way huh yeah leave blt alone stop doing this to her it's the kind of chair you get x-rays in when you're at the dentist Mm. yeah and that's like worse than the x-ray itself is like those plastic things they stick into your brain yeah. To do the lobotomy. It's so uncomfortable to hold them in. Like, how do I bite down on this if you're sticking it into my brain? Yeah. <laughs> Elsewhere on the planet, Tuvok is uh, being held by these dudes. Um, and they're like, let's go into his brain and get more stuff. And uh, they start doing their Mari meld on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they're getting some violent images, but they're just not that violent. It's like, okay, one guy who's skin is on fire who cares did you recognize these scenes like they're from event horizon are they really yeah and you know what's fucking crazy about that is like i was playing the timeline in my head and i was like well event horizon came out in 97 i think yeah i looked up when the episode dropped event horizon was in theaters wow when this episode came out which means that they had a paramount to paramount film swap situation where they're like hey can i get some footage from your movie and they totally spliced it in what is that called is that telecine i think so yeah so if you guys could just give me the most awful parts of event horizon for use on our syndicated television show the most awful that aren't going to get us in trouble with the fcc right right and so someone had to make that decision right yeah that must have been a weird standards and practices meeting yeah I also noticed that there was one clip of the nemesis from uh, mm-hmm. Chicote's visit to Planet War. Yeah. That was in there. That was like the tamest image. Yeah. So Gwil is like, come on, dude, this is weak tea. Give me the good shit. And Tuvok's like, all right, hold, hold still. And he's, he's like, I'm going to meld you. And it's not going to be a light meld. And then he does one hand. I don't understand 
the continuity of the meld anymore. I thought I understood it. This episode has completely upended everything I yeah. previously thought I knew. Yeah. Maybe Lefty is more dominant. He's got a dominant meld hand. Oh. Was the right there to, like, moderate the left a little bit when he did it to BLT? I don't know. Now I just kind of want to watch all the melds to see if I can pick up any tips. So this meld is uh, is not the bloody nose type of meld, but it is the choky, I can't breathe kind of meld because yeah. in the fantasy of the meld, Tuvok is choking Gwil out and the Gwil in the real world is like losing his breath and suffering for it. I think it is so intentional how we don't see the reverse shot where the two henchmen are sitting yeah. next to Tuvok. Because if we did, we'd be seeing two dudes just straight jacking it. <laughs> yeah. Because this is the hardest of hardcore, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They'd be doing a self-tug in yeah. this moment. Yeah. I mean, I, like, we never see them again. No. You know? Like, later, Tuvok just has Gwil in custody and takes him up to the ship and puts him in the brig. Yeah, I mean, maybe those other guys should also be brought to justice. Seems like they were a big part of it. Uh-huh. Like, maybe <laughs> maybe get the entire ring. Yeah. This is when the captain radios Namira one more time and is like, you've got to shut down the thing with BLT. We've, like, completely figured this thing out, and uh, Gwil, is, Gwil is up on the ship, and uh, we can we can present all of the evidence you're going to need to exonerate Bolana. And they do. They have a uh, McLaughlin group. Issue one. A woman with a very similar haircut to Bolana lets Namira into the conference room. And it only bumped me for a split second, but she's so far back in frame. I was like, why is Bolana like, showing her in? Yeah. yeah. That was strange. <laughs> strange casting. So she comes in and, and uh, Tuvok does the kind of like Sherlock Holmes. Here's, the, here's what really went down. Frain and Gwil were working together. They knew that Bolana had some crazy shit going on under that loaf. They wanted to get access to it. So they set up a thing where Frayne would, would knock into her, and they both got the violent thought. Gwil put it out on the market. He sold it to that old lady. Mm-hmm. Turns out you've got a, a, a black market for bad thoughts going on your planet. Yeah, and this was like a case of violent thought abusers getting used to like the weak stepped-on thoughts and then stepping up to a BLT violent thought, which is like pure and uncut. <laughs> and it just totally blew them up. Demir is such a pearl clutcher receiving this news. <laughs> yeah, Demir is like, why would anyone do this? And Tuvok's like, it's because they like to jack off to this. <laughs> And Nimir is like, why? And why do they jack off? And Tuvok is like, because it's fun to do bad things. <laughs> For example, smoke on cigarettes. <laughs> He's like, if you don't believe me, you can interview Mr. Gwill in the brig. <laughs> oh. You know that place you thought was super dumb? Oh, we got the brig up to 1%, baby. Yeah. <laughs> You know we got a place for this. So uh, she's going to go see to that. And, uh, you know, the doctor gives Lieutenant Torres a clean bill of health. He's like, yeah, they only got a couple of your violent thoughts. And she's like, well, it's an abundant supply, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear what they had to do to Kern to get his violent thoughts out? 
That guy's on Kronos just smashing clay pots. <laughs> He's actually a, a danger to many people. The captain's log uh, refuses to speculate on whether there will be any, uh, you know, reforms to the Mari justice system. Yeah. <laughs> reforms <laughs> to the justice. <laughs> That'll be the day. So uh, the button on the episode that we get here is, is uh, Seven just barging into Janeway's quarters. And I hope this is a thing. Like, I hope Seven never rings the doorbell. I hope she never asks to enter a place. I hope she just mm-hmm. walks in and out of places because this is fun. She goes yeah. right into Janeway's. And <laughs> she's really the uh, the Steve Urkel yeah. of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> Like, Janeway doesn't get the self-own of Strange New Worlding that that Seven is trying to attack her with. Yeah. And Janeway makes the case that, like, look, this is Star Trek, baby. (laughs) Yeah. The risks that we take by following the Prime Directive and seeking out new life and new civilizations, this shit is fun for us, baby. Yeah, that's what we're into. We like simple pleasures, like exploring Strange New Worlds and edging with other species' legal systems. (laughs) That's just me. That's just something that I enjoy. Call me crazy. Call me a pervert. This is probably the best tug job the ship has gotten in a long time. (laughs) Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I mean, this episode is very silly. Uh, I think it's got a lot of big holes. For example, if the Mari don't imprison people, what is Bolana doing the entire time? Yep. And uh, generally speaking, like a lot of that stuff, like I think it would bother me in an episode that wasn't as fun in other ways. Right. Like Tuvok going into the Mari underworld that whole sequence was so well done and mm-hmm. so fun. Mm-hmm. And like, despite the like incredibly flimsy to non-existent framework it is built on, the brutal irony of Gwil being put in jail at the end uh, <laughs> is also really fun. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like, I think it's kind of like a B-minus mediocre episode, but I had a fun time watching it. What you said there just made me think of the possible hypocrisy of Namira keeping BLT in a place that we can't see, knowing her feelings on Briggs. Like, yeah, what exactly is happening there? Where is, is she in a five star hotel? Yeah, <laughs> you know, she's sipping on jippers on a beach somewhere. This is one of those classic Star Trek is turning an aliens way of being into a warning for us all episodes, like in a way that a lot of science fiction tends toward. Yeah. And in that way, it was a totally fine episode. But the parts of it that bumped me out of it were how Starfleet just gets fucking cucked by their own prime directive here repeatedly. And I just think there's a version of this episode that might be more interesting if that is more of an argument instead of a, well... That's just the letter of the law, man. And if it means BLT gets lobotomized, like, that's what we all signed up for. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think that's right. Especially when we know how flexible the Prime Directive is in certain circumstances. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if there's any Priority One messages in the inbox, Adam? I think I'm just flexible enough to reach them. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first P1 is from Garrett, and it's to Captain Mike. Goes like this. Thanks for the P1 shout-out at the Atlanta show, buddy. Lane and I were at first confused, then delighted at that awesome surprise. Sadly, your P1 did not hit as hard in the room as the cosplaying Spock slash Twain dude who had the first P1. (laughs) But yours was our favorite. Here's hoping we've hung out with you and Sarah by the time this drops. Cheers! Oh, jeez. Captain Mike shouldn't feel bad at all. Uh, the Spock Mark Twain guy stalked us for many shows yeah, on the he tour. Was, he was at a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> we smoked cigars of his in uh, Austin. I think he was at D.C. and Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, he was at a bunch of shows. Big supporter. Yeah. yeah. Just as Garrett was here. Look look at us. We're... we're <laughs> The Spock Twain guy is stepping on Captain Mike and Garrett again. God damn it, Spock Twain guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to go back to Atlanta. Yeah. Good good place to visit. We will return. Indeed. Ben, our next priority one message is from Chris, and it is to Andrew. That message goes like this. Andrew, my twin separated by four years. Happy 40th. You're the Hmm. best brother and a great dad. And husband, too. You introduced me to Greatest Gen, revolutionizing our twin speak. Whoa. Now nobody else can understand us, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Happy birthday, brother. I love you. B&A, roll that Red October drop. One ping only, please. Or the Rolaren drop. Or both. One ping only, please. Chris and Andrew, if, if their twin speak is Greatest Gen speak... I think you're going to be talking a lot like me and Ben. Yeah. That's, that's the language that that we're fluent in. That's very special, though, that kind of, like, inside language that uh, two really close people, like twins, speak with each other. I, yeah. I, I feel honored to have worked our way into that for someone. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really cool. Very cool. Well, if you would like to get a P1 on the show uh, for an upcoming episode... We would love to have you. It's MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to set it up. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. I think I'm going to give it to Namira, both for being the kind of cop that is so convinced of her abilities that she has completely missed a huge criminal syndicate that is operating right under her nose, but also just for being Bator. Uh, so fun so fun to see her yeah. out from under the loaf and doing a very different kind of role. And uh, Yeah, she's she's covering up other things and revealing something different. Yeah. And, and I loved as it. this character, huh? Yeah, so Namira is my drunk Shimoda for yeah. those two reasons. Uh, mine is gonna be BLT for a specific moment. When Namira explains how thought crimes work. <laughs> on her planet, BLT does this wobble of incredulity. Like, she <laughs> she physically is like, oh, are you fucking serious? <laughs> In a way that I just really responded to. Like, yeah. I feel like that a lot. Very fun. <laughs> so, good bit of acting there. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. 
Well, Adam, I got to uh, head over to gach.biz slash game and fire up the game of buttholes. Will of the Caretaker. Currently, our runabout is on square 13. And uh, before I get into my role, let me tell you about our next episode of Voyager. It's season four, episode 11, concerning flight. When pirates steal some of Voyager's technology, Janeway and Tuvok discover her holographic Leonardo da Vinci, who helps them in their search. Hmm. How do they discover her, her Leonardo da Vinci? Uh-oh. You gotta keep your hollow tax documents password protected, I think. Do some of his uh, clockwork jack-off <laughs> machines just pleasure the pirates into submission? God, we're, we're going from an episode about tug jobs to uh, a Leonardo da Vinci episode? <laughs> <laughs> it's this is a golden age for us, Adam. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, uh, we've got a corks bar out ahead that we could hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're uh, we're gonna have some modifications to the game board soon, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, right. uh, as of this episode, it's uh, you're talking about the addition of a certain zone square. Yeah, yeah, it's it's looking like there might be a zone added. But anyways, we're on uh, square thirteen, like I said, and I'm gonna go ahead and roll this though. Wow, I rolled a four. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. Putting us on the doorstep of that Quark's bar, but not quite on it. Boy, that is just set and spike for me. <laughs> <laughs> With how often I roll ones. It is. Uh, but Square 17 is a regular old episode for next week. Looking forward to it. Me too, Ben. Just as I'm looking forward to thanking everyone who made this episode possible. Yeah. Uh, beginning first and foremost with the uh, friends of DeSoto who support the show financially. It's the whole reason this entire operation can function. You can True. join the Miriam Friends of DeSoto who do that over at MaximumFun.org slash join. They helped us have the finances to hire Wendy Pretty, an amazing producer who produces and edits on our shows. And uh, keeps us in, or in, in line and organized in a way that I never thought possible. Yeah. Got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who runs at Greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Follow those accounts. They're really fun. We're putting up audiograms. <laughs> if you see an audiogram you think is funny, retweet it or share it or whatever. I don't know. What do people do on Instagram? They just like things, right? Oh, yeah. They're liking and, and regramming, or, or they're doing stories or, or whatever. Yeah, all that's over there at, the, at, at Greatest Trick. Like and comment and smash that follow button, baby. The music you're hearing is by Dark Materia. The theme music and interstitial music for all Greatest Gen shows was made by Adam Ragusea. True. Great friend to the internet. And with that, we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that's going to have the Friends of DeSoto urging Ben and Adam to put a clockwork jack-off square on the (laughs) game of buttholes. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned 
audience supported.